Hey everyone, I'm Chris Hall and you're listening to the Downtime Podcast, where we delve deep into the gravity-based side of mountain biking. This week's episode is supported by We Are One Composites and there's a discount code coming up just for you. If you've listened to the podcast for a while, then you'll know that I love my We Are One Faction wheels. They've been totally faultless, needed zero maintenance and have a great balance of stiffness and compliance that leads to a great ride. However, what you might not know is that last week We Are One launched their first bike and it looks incredible. The arrival is a 150mm 29er Enduro weapon and you can tell that We Are One have put their usual level of attention to detail into making sure that this thing is perfect. There's some lovely design touches and the finish is next level, just like it is with the wheels. Head over to weareonecomposites.com and give it a look. Due to the crazy demand in the bike industry right now, and particularly for We Are One wheels, we can't offer a discount on complete wheel sets at this point in time. But the team at We Are One really wanted to do something for downtime listeners, so they're offering you 15% off rims only during the month of August. All you need to do is to use the code WESUPPLY2021 at the checkout over on weareonecomposites.com. That's WESUPPLY, all lowercase, all one word, followed by the number 2021 over on weareonecomposites.com. Head there now and check out the entire range. All the links you need are in the show notes for this episode on downtimepodcast.com. Hopefully a lot of you know by now, but I'm super excited to be launching a print project with the team at Misspent Summers, which is going to be called Downtime EP. If you want to get involved, find out more and get the chance to get your hands on issue one ahead of everyone else with a nice early bird deal too, then head to downtimepodcast.com forward slash EP now and leave us your name and an email address and we'll be in touch. If you want to support the show, you can get your hands on our full range of merch over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop. As always, it's top quality, organic and made in a factory using renewable energy and delivered with no single use plastics. Head over there now and check it all out. All the proceeds help to support and improve the show. Please make sure you're following the podcast on whatever platform you listen. There's probably going to be a button there that says follow or subscribe. So hit that now. It's free and it means you're going to get every episode as soon as it's available. If you can't find the button, then you can head to downtimepodcast.com forward slash subscribe where there's links to all the major platforms there to help you. Also, it'd be great if you've got a set, give me a follow on Instagram and Facebook where I'm at Downtime Podcast. It's the best place to keep up to date with what's going on and it's always lovely to hear from you in the comments and messages there. All right, folks, after a bit of a break, we've got a World Cup downhill weekend coming up in Maribor. So we're sitting down with Coach of the Stars, Chris Kilmurray, for some pre-race chat. We get Chris's thoughts on the track, the demands on the bike and the rider, and the keys to a successful week. We chat a bit about the current standings and what we can learn from the recent racing that took place on the Maribor track. So, without further ado, here's Chris Kilmurray. Chris Kilmurray, welcome back to the Downtime Podcast. How's things with you? Good, yeah, good to be back. I'm, I'm always excited to... Uh... I was excited to to talk shop and be a bit of a nerd, a bit of a World Cup nerd for for an hour or so before the the race week starts. Excellent, yeah. Well, we've had a bit of a break since the last round. We've had a, a few weeks uh, in inverted commas off. But Four weeks and a will, day. Yeah. What will the riders and racers have been up to between then and now? And is that kind of dependent on how they perceive the first two rounds went for them? Um, yeah, I think some riders obviously had commitments. So they, had, they would have had testing commitments, or you know, some of them would have had travel commitments, having to go home. Even the, the British riders now, will, you know, will have want to have gone back to the UK because they can't indefinitely stay in the European Union anymore. Um, so there's lots of little bits and bobs like that, and there was national races, national championships were scheduled, you know, over those two weeks in the middle of July. Uh, European champs just gone, so there's lots of 
racing, riding, testing, obviously all the Antipodeans and the, some of the Kiwis went home. A lot of the Aussies stayed due to their restrictions. So between testing uh, commitments, racing commitments, travel commitments, quarantines and COVID-related scenarios and general feelings of what was or wasn't needed based off the beginning of the season's results, kind of riders did numerous different things, it looks like. I know the guys I coached definitely did a lot of a variety of different uh, approaches to the four weeks we've had off. Is it a calmer few weeks if you feel like you're in a good place? Like, is it, is it, I guess it'd be easy to start worrying about how you've prepared and whether you want to change things if stuff's not going to plan. Yeah, it's a really good question, isn't it? Because I suppose there's only so much you can, you know, a wholesale change and a massive complete and utter total 180 flip and how you do things in a small four-week block probably isn't the way to approach things. Some sort of an, an iteration of what you've already been doing would be the smart way to do it. But, you know, like like Tani, who I coach, won the race in Leger, but knows she knew she wasn't at her best for that race and knew she still wasn't at her best physically, technically, tactically, all the rest, um, based off the pre-season she had with the neck injury and everything else. Um, so obviously she she approached it just as a big opportunity to to get to work, even though she came off the back of a win. It was you know there was no resting on laurels, and uh, loads of other riders you know would have went through a whole variety of scenarios in their head as to how best to to maximize their chances for the last block of the season. And I think because now we do Maribor have a week off, and then from World Champs onwards, it just runs right through to the end of Snowshoe because Snowshoe's a double header now. So basically you're looking at, you know, four races in, in five weeks or four and a half weeks or whatever it is. So I think everyone's had an eye on that too. So a bit of extra volume, lots of physical training, but also lots of bike time. And then obviously testing and figuring out what is and isn't doing good or what they do and don't like in terms of the, the technical side of things with the equipment. So, you know, four weeks sounds like a lot, but once you, you crack off a little bit of recovery after Leger and then start your prep and get some physical training done and then want to get back in the downhill bike and tick a few boxes, go to hardline, scare yourself, um, scare yourself white. And then uh, before you know it, you're kind of, oh, I've only got 10 days till I need to leave from Maribor type thing. Or in the case of a lot of riders, they only had a, a week before they had to go and race IXS and, and European champs. So yeah. Yeah. yeah not much space. Yeah. Yeah. What's uh, let's pick up on, on injuries then. So there was a few kind of in that early part of the season, I guess one of the high profile ones was Thibaut de Prella's crash, which he somehow managed to turn around and come back and, and win in Leger. But uh, I'm guessing he should be fully recovered now, if not maybe still with a slightly sore tongue. But Yeah, I think he should be. He qualified fast as a European champs just uh, Saturday. Well, it wasn't qualifying. It was a timed a time session on the Saturday. So he qualified quick stay ahead of Vergier. Um, I didn't actually pay attention to where he finished it yesterday. He wasn't on the podium. but um, No, I didn't spot that. Yeah, I didn't actually pay attention because it was Vergier and, and Coulange who were super close together on the podium, 0.45 of a second or something, between them and Vergier taking the win for the ugliest jersey in mountain biking. Um, <laughs> uh, and then third place, I can't remember off the top of my head. So yeah, I think yeah, Deprello will be fine. He, he's young. You know, We can debate till the cows come home whether he should or shouldn't have raced Leger. Uh, he put down a really good run considering the situation, got lucky with the weather to take the win. He probably would have been between P8 and P12 without the wind without the rain i think in my calculations mm-hmm. um so yeah he's he's done a, a sterling job of getting a massive one hand on the overall already you know 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just looking at the results. I can't find his name on there, so maybe didn't race. I don't know. Yeah, or maybe just didn't race. Yeah, maybe DNS. Huh? Yeah. Might be the smart move. Yeah, and Miriam was the same. Miriam DNS as well, just because yeah. she was feeling the track. She said so. That's fair enough. And Charlie, Charlie Harrison's back. You were riding with him briefly last week. Yeah, well, briefly we did. <laughs> brief was not the word. <laughs> we did two kind of yeah full full days on plenty with no no major expectations. Plenty uh, here in Morzine in what is what was or still is the muddiest, slippiest conditions we've had in probably eight years. Just an insane amount of moisture, so uh, nothing dries out. So yeah, he's doing super well. He broke his radius clean in two in, in Leo Gang and qualifying. So it's fifty. Well, it was like fifty days between um, breaking the arm and getting back on the DH bike and doing a real good job. So he's been riding. The bone is still technically fractured, let's say. It's still knitting together, but the plate's holding it together well. And given, you know, it's been six weeks or so since surgery, seven weeks now since surgery, and it's uh, as good as as good as good it could be, plus a bit extra. So he's ready to race. So, impressive. Yeah, yeah, really impressive. I was, I was, I was, you know, I was being coached and I was being healthily skeptical to make sure, you know, we weren't going to, jumped the gun so to speak and um, he's just yeah, exceeded all expectations credit to him. excellent yeah that's good to hear and another rider that i've seen back uh back on his bike is flo payer he had a a bit of an argument between his genitals and a post at uh at Lear gang which sounded pretty horrific but yeah that's again that feels like a pretty speedy recovery is do you know if he's back like full tilt ready to race or uh, yeah funny you mention him because i was riding with flo um as well uh not this week just gone um well, the beginning of this week just gone basically and the week before. So uh, Tani and Kate were out here in Morsi and getting a little bit of prep done, some you know, some quality bike time done before Maribor in uh, you know an environment they know. Uh, and Flo and Kate are really good friends. And I suppose I'm good friends with Flo as well. So we, we all rode together for a couple of days. And uh, he's just been building steadily, you know, physically and on the bike, he said. And um, he's just been shredding. Yeah, he let out a couple of laps. We were all riding together and it was just like, bye-bye, Flo. See you, bro. <laughs> He was gone, so um, now he's he's doing really well. He's definitely. He said he's been cautious, and he said he's. Uh, he, he definitely. It was a scary one. He said it was. It was ex, you know excruciatingly painful, and obviously lots of, lots of kind of long term implications. And generally, I suppose as any male will know who's listening, it's a sensitive area. So when you have to get emergency surgery to to save the the two dudes between your legs, I think uh, it calms things down. He said, you know, in French, that's what he said. He said it, it calmed me. So, mm. but he's yeah, doing well. he's riding super well. He, he's still still got that flow paille long leg style where he he just puts the bike where he needs to, you know, and he doesn't have to move his center of mass of a whole pile to actually get grip because he's so tall. So he, he's a, he's the kind of guy who really uses his his shape extremely well when he rides. It's really impressive to watch. So it's good to see him back. Yeah, definitely. And then we've got um, the Pierron brothers, Baptiste oh. and Amory, were both uh, pretty beaten up last time we spoke. Do you do you know? Are they back? Like, I haven't seen any footage of either of them riding. I don't know how they're doing. No, I think Baptiste is out for the season. Okay. I think from what I, I don't know for sure, but um, <clears throat> from looking at his, his social media posts, um, he's fractured, you know, six vertebra, as far as I counted, okay. between between C's and T's. Um, so he's still in like a pretty upright body cast and he's going to lose a whole lot of muscle mass and he's just going to have a, a long winter to, I think in one of his posts, he said he's looking forward to the winter of work to get back up to health, you know? So I think he's, he's, he's done, especially with this block being so short, you know, we've got four weeks or five weeks and, and five races, you know? So, um, 
he's out in an Amory. I don't think anyone knows a whole pile, really. Yeah. I think he's he's just waiting for the all clear from the doctors. And from what he told me, I, I messaged him briefly, just you know, as as a friend, just to ask how he was. And uh, he said he's not in any pain. He's doing well, but um, from what I understand, I think it's the doctors aren't keen to give the all clear until it's guaranteed. You know. So I don't yeah. fully know the extent of the injuries, but you know there's pretty serious internal injuries, and it just looks like it's going to take a while. Yeah, fair play. Yeah, it's not worth rushing that sort of stuff, is it? He's got a, a long career ahead of him still. Yeah, it's a and shame, then, poor guy. Yeah, yeah. And then Nina Hoffman was another rider who went down pretty hard at, uh, at Leger World Cup. I'm not, I'm not sure you're, how you're listing off all these riders, and you're you're. you're uh, I've forgotten how injured so many people are, and it's just dawned on me how how dangerous downhill is at the moment. I think we were discussing it like you know myself and some of the riders like coaches and a couple of the kind of mechanics and, and engineers and stuff that work in the industry and we were kind of saying that maybe bikes and suspension are getting so good that now tires are becoming a limiting factor in terms of like size shape grip traction and, and maybe just because of, of the nature of the the shape and the size of a bicycle maybe tires will always be the limiting factor and or something is a limiting factor so it'll be up to the riders to not go over the edge but that's yeah. easier said than done because everyone wants to win races you know yeah crazy, the edge yeah. is crazy, the yeah. edge is a very narrow place to hang out yeah strange place to hang out too you know mm. but i think the onus is, is on the the course builders in the uci now to appreciate the fact that riders will no break sections you know they'll, they'll no break a whole lot less than your average rider will um, and it's, I guess it, the onus is on the UCI especially and, and the course builders to just be aware of the fact that these riders are going to go way faster than you possibly ever could imagine. So I think certain aspects of the course will just have to be built with safety in mind, not with not with spectacle in mind or technicality in mind, just with safety. Yeah, you know, yeah, sure. that's totally fair. Yeah, do we know? So do we know if Nina's back? Okay, or um, I saw that she's back just riding trail bike so okay. I, I don't think she'll make the end of the season from what i know of that i think she, she's she's done she's damaged her ac so from what i know about the rehabilitation of of ac joint injuries you know from from tanny's full explosion in 2019 um i i can't see her being back to race health race fitness by the end of this like with the short block we have now you know yeah that's a shame, Fair yeah, play. A shame yeah. and marine's yeah. marine's in a similar boat marine's gonna race uh, tried to race Maribor, but her legs still don't really do the job. She said so. Mm. Crazy, wow. huh? Yeah, yeah, lots of riders down. Yeah. Well, let's let's talk about Maribor specifically then. Tell us um, tell us a little bit about the track from your perspective because it's a it's a fast one, isn't it? Yeah, it's a it's a classic piece of kit. Uh, I think it's always been fast ever since it was you know on the World Cup circuit at the end of the nineties and the beginning of the two thousands. Um, and uh, obviously, you know, I'm, I'm currently at home in Morzine, but I've been speaking to all the riders I, I coach and work with who are over there for the IXS and the European champs. And you know, a lot of them practice, but didn't race or rode other tracks on the hill. But everyone who's been riding uh, the version of the World Cup track that they taped out for the IXS has just said the same thing that, oh, my God, this is fast. It's fast. It's rough. It's been wet there and then dried out. And it's currently baking like 30 Celsius. So it's just your classic classic when we have a, a world cup track that gets used as a bike park for a portion of the year the bumps get like a different frequency mm-hmm. so you get like bike park frequency where it's just you know that's your wide variety of riders who break too much and break too late like in the corners and then you get the world cup break and bumps which are huge holes late heavy break before an apex type thing you know what i mean so you get yeah. this like baked 
steps and lumps and chattery bumps also huge holes so i think yeah it's a massive so the riders really quickly realize once they get up to speed they're like wow this is this is hard work no matter how fit i am you know so everyone's been talking about just how blown out the track is how physical it is and how fast it is and i think when you you mix in the the, the bumps and the vibrations with the speed the brain gets quite tired quite quick yeah and i think the 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 ability to take risk gets quite tired, gets quite low, quite fast. So you need a lot of like vegetation time in between, in between runs, in between, you know, you might do six laps in a day and then you need a lot of Xbox and coffee shop, you know? And, and I think people who don't know the sport, maybe or who ride themselves, but don't fully have never ridden at that level. They don't fully grasp the, the need for horizontal vegetation between high risk riding. You know what I mean? Do you think that's it's more prevalent in Maribor than maybe some of the other tracks on the circuit, that need? Mm, yeah, like definitely the way it is currently, with how fast everyone said it is, how dry it is, how bumpy it is, how worn it is, how easy, relatively easy it is to know where you're going because you've raced it five or six times. So all of those factors mean that, yeah, it's, it's harder to to maintain you know winning pace than it would be in Leger for example whereas in Leger you were trying to build winning pace the entire week because it was a brand new track and then you were dealing with the changes in weather and you were dealing with the the difficulty of the features like the road gap and other stuff so you, you had lots of things to focus on you had lots of lots of things to overcome in Leger lots of emotional stuff you're like oh you know I'm not doing this good or I'm scared of this I'm scared of that and you just had to work on that all week whereas in Maribor it's super straightforward and you just have to go as fast as humanly possible. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that level of physicality, I guess, only goes up a notch when you throw in 30 plus degrees every day. How, how yeah, are riders coping with that side of things? I was actually just, just thinking about this morning and what way we're going to to just, you know, remind everyone to to manage the, the heat exposure quite well. So obviously all your, all your simple basic things like, you know, staying staying out of direct sunlight when possible pre-cooling before you ride so getting getting making sure you're cold before you start um, so like a cooling vest or yeah ice vest ice baths cold shower lit, cold towel literally anything obviously uh, i don't want to give away too many secrets i don't know, <laughs> I don't know who's listening but you know yeah, yeah. getting core temperature down is key so uh-huh. um, that's that's kind of where a lot of the focus will be so if anyone's been watching the tokyo olympics they'll have potentially seen the strategies being deployed um especially for the endurance events yeah um and for downhill, it's not super hard to manage for downhill because you, you ride your bike for a few minutes. You take the lift up, ride down the bike park to the start line, ride your bike, do your practice. So you have opportunities to manage heat quite well if you're organized to do so, you know. But yeah, yeah. pre-hydration, good hydration during, getting cool after, staying out of direct sunlight, managing sweat, that sort of thing. So yeah, super. And then obviously quality of sleep at nighttime, managing the heat in the evening. Uh, not eating super late, not eating a high fat evening meal, just simple strategies to make sure sleep quality is super good will get yeah. people through the week, I think. But I've been checking the forecast and it looks like we're going to get up to maybe 32 or 3 Celsius during the week. So that's like... Hot we, enough. Well, I was only thinking about it and we, we had this discussion myself and Charlie Harrison a couple of days ago. And it's like we went through this run of World Cups 2017, 2018 into early nineteen where we only had one or two races. Like I literally lived in a t-shirt and shorts trackside for three seasons and came home with a, a, a farmer's tan from every race, you know? <laughs> and since then, since like 2019 onwards and mid 2019 into 2020, it's just been cold and wet every race. So we've not, not actually had to manage heat as a factor at World Cups since even snowshoe wasn't super warm. So I'd say since like, 
Let me think off the top of my head. Valdesoli 2019, maybe, or... Yeah, okay. Yeah, about that. So it might catch a few people out then if they're not ready for it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, for sure. Yeah. What about, like, uh, kind of electrolyte replacement? Like, everyone sweats different amounts and uh, different amount of salt coming out of the body, but I'm guessing it's pretty pretty key to try and make sure that you're topped up on all the critical things your body needs to run well yeah absolutely i think you can you know you, you can prehydrate and you can use an electrolyte solution um, i i know some people in the, in the world cup circuit will have measured and and quantified how they sweat uh, but i think the vast majority won't have and the, the key difference between a sport like downhill and say enduro or an actual endurance sport like road cycling is that we get to eat real food relatively regularly yeah. Therefore, the, the demands on replenishing electrolytes aren't as big as they would be in an endurance sport where you're eating on the go. Yeah. And you can't really eat real food, and you do have to manage your your mineral and salt intakes quite well. Whereas we can we can have breakfast, uh, prehydrate, do some laps, sip on a beverage during, have a snack, eat lunch, sip again, smash some more laps, done, have a recovery shake. So so the, the windows of opportunity for a downhiller to to eat real food to keep you know, to get sufficient amount of minerals in there that you're actually always replenishing is, is actually pretty easy. So as long as you're doing a good job, that changes, obviously, if you're not able to eat because some riders just don't like to eat or can't eat due to nerves or whatever else. So, yeah, it's just super individual again, like a lot of things. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Well, let's talk about the bike then. How how key is set up on a track like Maribor? Super fast, super rough. Mm-hmm. Mm, big one i think i think um if that this is going to be a classic scenario where some if the weather stays constant it'll be a little bit less demanding because i know last year when the weather was quite variable and we went from super hard pack slick to dry back to slick again people were just quite puzzled especially a rebound just in terms of you know you needed the bike to be real fast rebound so it constantly maintained its maintained its posture let's say maintained its its geometry because yeah. you're hitting stuff so hard especially if like the, that weird triple gap that was in there and lots of those funny sections that it's a funny track because it's got a lot of easy corners it's got a lot of high speed uh high speed hits it's got a lot of small but violent g outs and then it's got quite a few longer corners with that would demand a lot of your low speed compression and your your support further down the track especially as you get tired so there's the bike needs to be you know really well balanced front and rear uh but if the weather stays dry i think it's just a case of making it Give it, giving you enough support and having it fast enough that it always gives you that support so i think setup won't be won't be super challenging um the only thing is people may or may not get caught out by you know riding a bike that's super good in practice and then they get the race runs with qualities and realize ah oh, it's not stiff enough or okay yes yeah, so giving me enough support yeah working their way up this or through the settings throughout the week as the pace increases yeah and i, I think you know even just depending on what what suspension you're running and how you manage your your need for support front and rear um you know a couple of clicks of extra low speed compression could be life-changing for some guys you know what i mean yeah 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 yeah. interesting so any make or break kind of sections on that track are there particular points that you think are, are like fundamental to getting a good time or is it a case of you know getting everything right on the way down like how does that balance out i can't give too much i can't give too much away now (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> um, actually myself and Tani had this had this conversation when she was in Morsey in here like uh, whatever 10 days ago or six days ago now um and because it's like we you know we'll have this thing where we discuss the key to the race before the race 
because that's if there is a key to the race for for her specifically not just in general um and if they use the same or give or take the same track as as previous world cups um there's definitely keys uh, for the individual rider um, and then you know historically if you go through the splits it's the last two sections four and five last two sectors that really start to i think it's it's a mixture of fatigue and the support the bike's giving and how the rider is riding with their growing fatigue so you have all these high speed hits the rock garden the sprint above sectors four and five and then as you get to sectors four and five it flattens off and it's those dark woods with lots of traverses which go across the hill and actually the more traversing you do the slower you go but there is lots of opportunity to create speed with the ground and if it's dry there's loads of opportunity just to let the bike run and just hits hit berms just like little small berms with quite a bit of support but they're where the support is is quite quite narrow quite small um so it's real slippy and awkward in the wet but when it's dry you can just let the bike go so those those sectors historically have definitely been um been really really important to just do well you know like thomas Estac, french french guy coach did had a, a real good run going race two last year in maribor and when we compared him side by side to finn who got on the podium um he lost it all in, in sector four just threw it okay. away yeah just totally threw it away just by just by getting stood up in a turn by letting not letting the bike run by not just keeping the speed and the momentum he had you know so simple errors like that and then loic lost the race race one last year to lars on the last jump he just got slightly cross-rutted in those ruts and got slightly off balance and lars just no break the rut and and, and did a real good job and, and loic lost the race by 200s or 300s yeah tiny so margins yeah does it come down to being i guess sort of fit enough in inverted commas to maintain focus and physicality through those bottom sections like is it is that that, that sort of what you're getting at i guess i think you know for the men there's there's a lot to be gained and lost in those bottom two sectors i'm pretty sure oshino callahan crashed last year in sector four and still won the junior race because he he managed he he gained enough above that and then managed to pull a bit back in sector five even though it was super short and um, so it looks like for the men, yeah, four and five, you, you obviously can't do a bad job above that. In the mm-hmm. in the upper sectors, you need to be right on the money the whole way through. But that's that's how the men's field is nowadays. There's no there's no chance to like lose a huge chunk of time and, and gain it all back, with the exception of Liu Gang, where the woods were exceptionally challenging and you could gain black gain back a few places, but you probably couldn't win the race if you weren't on the money higher up. Yeah. Um, for the girls though, the rock garden was a big separator the last couple of years. Okay. A real big separator, some huge margins to be gained through there. And that's just the desire for risk for for the female racers. Um and then there's some big differences on the sprint after the rock garden on that fire road for the for the, the ladies' field as well. Some big okay. old differences just in exit speed from the rocks, uh carrying speed out of that small berm and then and then how they approach the sprint and then how they approach the the braking and the turning into the next section and stuff. So there's yeah, there's definite areas in the track where we're um there can be some time made, time lost, some some big gaps created for for different reasons for all the different categories. It's it's actually for what is now a pretty straightforward track. It's it's got some interesting tactical elements for sure. Yeah, and I'm just trying to remember, but the sprint's got that right hand corner dropping away into the track, hasn't it? That was yeah. it, Loris that uh, went down pretty hard there a couple of years ago. And Sam Hill famously in 2000. And- yeah. seven or six or something he threw away the yeah. wind was like four or five up and just launched it in sideways and down he went yeah and lars said lars 2019 yeah had qualified yeah, so first or second a lot, threw it away, yeah. 
a lot of uh, a lot of things to get right through that section there. Yeah. And I think t- in previous years that's been taped. Uh, you come off the road and it just goes dead straight to like a catch burn before that uh, double uh, last year for race two. It was taped. You come in, go slightly to your left and hit some old bike park berms. And it was actually really, really cool because it was like you could cut the edge of you could cut the edge of the bank in classic World Cup style to straighten out, you know, a 10 meter section and then pick up the right hander late, slap that real hard and then get set up for the real tight left hander and then another right hander and then into the uh, corner before the, the double jump. But that actually made the double a big challenge for for some of the racers, for some of the female racers and for some of the men who came in square onto the last corner and ended up scrubbing heaps of speed and then had to yank for the double. So that was actually a way better taping job. So we're kind of fingers crossed to do something similar for the world cup this year. Yeah. Interesting. And then, I mean, any track where the speed is high the whole way down creates really tight margins. Like yeah. I think the men's podium from the second race in 2020 was covered by one second, which is insane. Man. And that also makes the risk of missing the bubble in qualifying even more real. Right. And there's, there's plenty of people that still kind of, out of place and aren't protected um yeah does that, um, does that change things for people like the the fact that they're really going to have to push on the quality runs yeah it's 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 interesting now that um you do have to push it 100 you, i think all the racers want to push it 100 anyway uh, in through all the categories want to push 100 big further points for the overall especially in a short season like this with five races but uh, i think unless you're protected or unless you're you know riding on with heaps of confidence um, the the risk of making an an error and not qualifying is actually kind of clear and present for half the field at least. It's you know it's qualifying a World Cup isn't easy anymore. So yeah, I, I'm not sure. I think it was easier to to make a bad job of the track as demanding as Leger, um, and and really miss the cut uh, for qualifying versus Maribor. I think if you if you're going to miss the cut in Maribor because it's so tight. Uh, if you're in, you know, 61st or 62nd, you'll be really bummed. But if you're a bit further back than that, I think you're, you're probably not going to qualify anyway if you had a clean run. Okay. So, yeah, it's, I think it, it doesn't have enough to separate people um, for you to make a big, a big mistake and gain it back and still qualify or, or vice versa. So I think, yeah, if, I think who the guys that are, guys and girls who are going to qualify are the ones that were probably going to qualify no matter what the conditions were you know so an easier track to put down a more consistent yeah consi- somewhere yeah, like sure. and easier to be more consistent and then give or take be honest with yourself that's probably your pace if you were consistent uh-huh. and if that's okay. your pace then you can't be bummed about qualifying or not you know you're kind of that's what you had but having said that last year like we said um Lars beat Loic by five hundredths in race one and the podium was was separated by uh, a single second so I think actually now, now that we discuss it, I think qualifying is maybe less of a less of a, an issue, and actually how the results pan out in the top half of like the top twenty in the men and the top three in the women, let's say, that's going to be like did my best job possible, missed out on the podium by two one hundreds, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, crazy, like yeah, super tight. Well, yeah, mm. let's talk a little bit about some of the racing that's been going on there over the last uh, the last week. So we've had an IXS Cup. The European champs and then straight into the World Cup. So there's plenty of opportunity for racers to find uh time to spend on that track or tracks in that area over the last few weeks. What what are your thoughts on that kind of having all these races there? Like you you could 
yeah, I don't know. It's unusual, isn't it? And it's something that seems to happen in Maribor quite frequently. Yeah, it is. It's really unusual. Um, credit to the IXS, I suppose, for running a midweek race. Um, it was basically just a, a pro-only race to a point. Uh, I suppose a lot, some people, you know, in continental Europe are, are on holidays in August anyway. So there would have been a lot of privateers present. Um, but yeah, again, you know, myself and the riders I coach and I work with, we're discussing the need for rules around, you know, national or regional races the week before on, on World Cup tracks, um, pre-practice on uh, World Cup venues, you know, having a window of, of just shutting these things down. So no pre-practice, you know, a month before, no races a month before, that sort of thing, to keep things yeah. fresh and to keep things fair and honest. Um, I think anyone who wasn't at the IXS or the European Champs is just going to take it as motivation. that They're going to, they're going to come in, do the job as they normally would at a World Cup and, and beat everyone anyway. Um, and then the guys and girls who were at the IXS uh, will they'll have either you know done what they wanted to do raced and won or raced and done well or seen the track or just you know worked on bike setup or whatever it is that they came for whatever their goal was or they'll have fried their heads and uh, come into the world cup with way too much work to do in terms of you know building rebuilding confidence or you know chasing demons away that were created during the ixs so it's a, it is a real funny one but um you know some of the riders i i, I coach sent me some helmet cams from the ixs track and I, I watched a couple of others on the internet and looked at some photos and stuff. And, and the way they taped the IXS is probably how they should have taped next week's World Cup. Uh, yeah. So fingers crossed we get a good a good tape job uh, at the World Cup because how they taped the IXS was actually real cool. It was slower at the top, tighter out at the start. Uh, went onto the ski piste from the first woods earlier. Uh, middle section was the same, but they made the rock garden faster, but l- less rocks, if that makes sense. So potentially less risk. Less risk of snagging a pedal or a front wheel, yeah. Um, and then lower down was 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 a pretty pretty good tape job. The famous compression alley was back in where you have like four or five huge G outs uh, in in at the start of sector four, or just before sector four starts for the World Cup. So they did a real good job taping the IXS, and the weather was changeable and then dry for European champs. So yeah, it's a, a real mixed bag. You know, some guys and girls will take huge uh, confidence and just you know, contentness from having done some track time so close to the World Cup. Others, like I said, will fry their brains and others will come in having not been there and just want to smoke everyone. So Yeah. Yeah. So no right or wrong answer really for people going and taking part in those events. No, I think, you know, that there's no rule against it. The events were put on. That's just how it was. It is still COVID COVID times, let's call it to a point. Um so you take what you, you take what you can. Um, and I think if, if a rider and a team went in with a plan and executed a plan for those races and came out with, you know, a reflection process on how well the plan rolled out, then yeah, what more can you ask for really? Yeah. 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 And, uh, I've seen a few little clips from European champs, um, and it just looked insane. Like the speed on the track just looked wild. I saw Loris Vergier through a few sections and it was, it was like bordering on scary to watch. Yeah. It's um because it's it's been so used uh it's quite hard pack when it's dry or extremely hard pack when it's dry and it's quite hard pack kind of soil and and rock anyway you know compared to some venues we go to that does that do have a lot of soft dirt still it's just super hard and the gradient of the hill just isn't that steep on where the world cup is you know as you go as you go further west let's say along the hill it actually gets quite steep and there's lots of secret loan tracks hidden away there that everyone kind of uh raves about during during the race week um 
but the World Cup side of the hill is actually it's at this perfect gradient where you don't need to brake that much. It's just not uh-huh. steep enough to need to need you to brake to slow down. You just brake when you need to change direction, basically, or corner. Um, so that means, yeah, uh, just your face is getting melted at 40 kilometers an hour, top to bottom, it looks like. <laughs> Insane. Yeah, Very looking different. forward to seeing, seeing average, that happen. Average speed was last year in the wet was like 38 kilometers an hour. Okay. So I think for the, for the men. So I think if it was bone dry, we'd tip 39.5 or even 40. Average. Yeah, average, depending on the tape job, yeah. Wow. Yeah, that is quick. And we've, we're in a position now, we've got a couple of races uh, already under our belts that the overall sort of starting to take some form and, and is, is worth talking about. We'll start mm. with the women's. Um, Camille's got a lead there but it's not a huge lead I think she's 54 points ahead of Tani who's then yeah. got six points from Valley and then another 10 back to Miriam so it's kind of still all to play for right those sort of numbers are you can turn that over in a weekend right if things go your way yeah you can you can really turn it around or screw it up in in this single race I think and it, it, this is like the pivot point of the season um, and obviously snowshoe being a double header for for rounds um, five and six so you know you can it's 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 going to be intense i think once once the, the cards are played for for maribor and, and the overall is kind of tallied up after maribor then that's we're going to really know how overall is going to be won you know um and like you know valley and tani are mega close together um miriam is still probably riding the fastest out of all of the girls but has not been consistent with it for now but has mm-hmm. still got you know still got a, a lot of points and Monica Rasnick in P5 is you know she just won European champs she always goes good at home in Maribor so she could definitely creep up the overall a little bit especially if some of the other girls have, have issues she could jump a few girls but yeah looking looking at it as it is it's it's between Balanche, Seagrave, Valley Hull and uh, Miriam Nicolia it's going to yeah, be it's okay. going to be real real cool you know qualifying points are still obviously still a thing until the last round um, so a good qualifying or a bad qualifying is going to jump you up or move you a spot and then just smashing a finals if someone else makes a mistake could mean you know Tani jumps up right into P1 or, or Balanche you know runs away with it or Valley actually you know gets a win and gets right up there and yeah all to play for now it's crazy yeah Valley's definitely got something to prove it's not been the perfect start to the season for her she's definitely had a few issues I think she's been quite open about about that on her social media and talking about it so it's going to be yeah interesting to see yeah just a lack of experience for now, simple as that, I yeah. think, from my perspective. Um, and definitely for, for Valley, how, how her bike is set up, and, and she's running a full 29er, so she's one of the last women and pff, one of the last professionals, really, not on a mullet, it looks like. Um, um, and, and Maribor will suit that setup for now, just how it is. It, you know, it, it, you don't you don't need the rear wheel to get out of your way as quickly and as often as you do somewhere like Leger. Mm-hmm. So I think somewhere like Maribor should just let let the the big rig run and it'll it'll just fly, you know. Yeah, I was going to say it should it should naturally roll faster, right? With that 20, 29 inch rear wheels, just going to get over stuff that bit easier. So yeah, between that and the inertia of the wheel when you tip it over, so it obviously needs to be managed well in terms of doing doing a good job early in term you know your changes of direction and your positioning and stuff. But yeah, if you do do a good job with the full twenty nine er, it will fly for sure. Yeah. Yeah interesting yeah looking forward to, to seeing how that pans out and then the men's is a little bit of a different story there's a bit a bit more of a gap there so Thibaut's got 120 points lead on Troy I think which is got to be 
started to feel good. Again, things can turn around pretty quickly, but he's a rider that seems to be able to consistently challenge for the podium. Um, and then Baptiste Piron is in third, but obviously unlikely to be able to cash in on that. Um, Loic back in 10th, so he's got a lot of work to do, I guess. Loris is another rider that you would have sort of expected to be up there, but you know he's had some issues at the start of the season that haven't haven't gone his way. So he's kind of, I guess, out of the running really. So looks like a bit of a Tebow Troy battle going on for now. Yeah, you know, of the guys who who genuinely have top, let's say, top three pace, who can challenge for you know consistently at every race now, who are in, who are you know close enough to Tebow to potentially catch back up. You're looking at Loic's gonna Loic's gonna get back up there, but he does have a huge deficit. Um Reese and Benoit Coulange are pretty much the two guys in the top ten who can, you know, do a do an amazing job, let's say in Maribor in qualities and finals. And they'll definitely have to aim for an amazing job in, in both qualities and finals. And they can definitely creep back up into the top kind of three overall. But uh Tebow Tebow has quite the advantage, you know. Um so between Troy Reese and um, uh, Coulange, that's kind of your guys at the moment. And it'll be really interesting to see how, how Menar, I think Menar is just can't never count Greg out. He just, you know, he could easily win the overall. So like, there's not even any, any point in speaking about Greg. He's just, you know, been smashing it, won the IXS and just, yeah, he's a dark horse, even though he's not a dark horse, you know? Yeah. Was um, that, that unusual to see Greg at a pre-race like that? I'm trying to think back. He doesn't I get, I don't think he normally would kind of do that. Yeah, it's a. He definitely has in, in, in previous. Like, if you think back to like the Honda days and that sort of thing, they would have always done French Cups and Maxis Cups and that that sort of thing as as test races, as testing, as as uh, races to just dial in the process way back when. Um, but more recently, maybe less so. But I think he's he's just mega motivated from from what I can see. He's he used to base himself in Morzine during the summer. Now he's in Andorra. Um. And he's just mega motivated. I think that the riding is not as varied in Andorra as it is in Morzine. So getting out and, and going to a race early. And, he, you know, he was in Valdesoli as well for a little bit of pre-practice with, with Luca um, a couple of days ago. So he's just real keen on the work, it looks like, you know, really, really keen on yeah. the work. And then, you know, in the overall, we, we, in the top 10, we've also got Danny Hart, um, Mark Wallace and Max Hartenstern. Um, in, in different ways, all of those guys, like Danny obviously has the pedigree of a world champion, um max has just been on the up and up little by little step by step he's done you know danny's danny joined max's team basically this year on cube and mark wallace is just mr consistent i think he's had a tough time last year covid and bike change and other things but mr mr wallace will always kind of chip away at consistent top 10s or top 12s you know yeah silent assassin kind of just getting the job done big time yeah so i think the, the one thing to pull out of looking at the overall at the moment coming into maribor is that if Maribor is as dry as the forecast looks and we get a consistent race, qualities and finals without any storms, which we've not had in a long time, that it's really going to set the set the tables for the, the last three races of the year. It's really going to like let everyone know who's who's in the battle, how things roll out. And then from there, it's just a case of getting racing and, and hopefully no one has, you know, mechanicals or punctures. Yeah. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Yeah. The forecast is looking pretty favorable last time I checked. So hopefully we get a, a clean race in all aspects of the word. Yeah, we need um, it. We haven't had a clean race, like a consistent dry qualities and finals. 
and, and practice and everything else since it feels like 2005 at this stage. <laughs> <laughs> Time to get the white kit out. Uh, I'll you the white kit for me to wear a t-shirt finally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair play. So let, yes, just give us a bit of a summary then. What what do you think are, are some of the, the key elements for riders that want to do well this week? Uh, like we said, ma- managing the heat is going to be really important. Uh, managing your number of runs and how you approach your runs so you don't peak too early in terms of your speed. Um, there is there is quite a few riders that'll happily just elevate for finals. You know, if you think of like a, a Tanya Seagrave or a Greg Minar, they'll always just elevate for finals regardless of how things have gone before that. Um, but yeah, def- definitely ma- managing your your build up of your speed and your your approach to piecing the track together. Um, and you know, unlike Leger, where you're going to have to learn the track and, and learn how to piece it together, I think this one's more going to be a case of you're going to hit everything real fast from pretty early on in practice. So the issues you're going to have are probably going to come from the speed. You just you know hit things coming so fast that you're a little bit square, a little bit off balance, and you're just having issues carrying speed and connecting the, the sections together. So that's kind of the, the practice management process. So between managing practice, managing how you build your speed and, and deal with the risk, and then the heat and, and that aspect of things, that's pretty much you're going to be at race day before you know it. Yeah. Around super fast, you know, Thursday track walk, Friday practice, Saturday quality, Sunday race. It's just end of the week it's just gonna fly by yeah do you think there's a risk with the some of the riders that like generally kind of seem to elevate for their finals run like we talked a bit earlier about bike setup and that you know being a challenge in the sort of sub- getting the support right if you're a rider that that elevates on finals run is there a risk that your bike's not in the right place to support that yeah, the, the risk is definitely there. Uh, whether the, any individual rider actually cares is a different question. <laughs> obviously, some some people are real sensitive to what they feel and how the bike performs, and other other riders are just going to smash it, and the thing is going to not give them enough support or give them too much, and they will or won't care. So it is really, really individual, like really individual. I think it just totally depends on the the personality of the rider and how how the how often they change the bike setup how often they adapt the bike setup to, to go with their building speed. Um, Cause for sure, some riders just run give or take the same setup nonstop. Some of them change and fettle and nibble nonstop all week. So like we just said previously, you know, because qualifying points are so important and qualifying itself is actually a race in a, in, a, in and of itself with how tight it is. Uh, most riders will know whether the bike's dialed or not after qualities. Okay. They'll know for sure. They'll just be like, this thing isn't what I need to to go faster. If I go fast, it scares me or it doesn't give me back this or that, you know. So I think once qualities is knocked away, a bit of work Sunday morning and you'll be everyone will be pretty much happy or totally confused and fried. <laughs> the two, <laughs> two ends of the scale, yeah. Either it's completely happy, made the changes, bikes fast, bikes dialed, works with me, or I'm puzzled and that's that's it. I'm going racing puzzled, you know. Oh, fair enough. All right. Well, uh yeah, we should probably wrap up there and uh yeah looking forward to watching it as ever it's uh, a world cup weekend's never a bad weekend whether you're there or watching it on red bull tv it's always good and maribor generally provides uh, an exciting race for us all so yeah thanks for thanks for coming on thanks for spending some time chatting about the upcoming weekend and we'll look forward to seeing the racing and seeing how it pans out on uh, yeah. on saturday and sunday thanks for having me it's always yeah, i'm always always happy to have the the geek sesh early in the week <laughs> love it <laughs> nice one Cheers, Chris. Thank you. 
All right, that's it for this episode with Chris. I really hope you've enjoyed listening. A massive thanks to We Are One Composites for supporting this episode of the show. Downtime listeners get 15% off We Are One rims for the month of August using the code WESUPPLY2021 over at the checkout on weareonecomposites.com. That's we supply lowercase, all one word, followed by the number 2021 over at weareonecomposites.com. While you're there, you can also check out their incredible new bike, The Arrival. There's just one thing left for you to do, and that's to head over to downtimepodcast.com forward slash EP and leave us your name and email address to make sure that you get a chance to get hold of the first issue of Downtime EP. We've got early bird deals going live really soon, so make sure you're registered there to find out more. All the links are in the show notes for this episode over on downtimepodcast.com. If you want to represent the show, then you can get your hands on our full range of merch by heading over to downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop with all the proceeds going to help improve the show. If you're still listening and you've got a bit of time, there's a few things you can do to help out. First off, tell your rider mates about the podcast because the more people who listen, the easier it is for me to keep this thing going. Secondly, share the episodes on your social media. It's a great way to spread the word and it helps get some buzz going around the episodes too. And then if you fancy it, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really does help. All right, there's going to be another awesome episode coming up really soon. But until then, get out and ride. (laughs) 